Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. We hope it's a good one for you. Here's who we'll be talking to today. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, joins us to take a look at the drought monitor map. All the dry areas of the country not uh, taken care of by the moisture that's been moving through the last uh, week or so. There's still some very dry areas and those areas that are getting precipitation, does that take care of all their problems or not when it comes to moisture? We'll talk about the trends there with Dennis Toddy. Lots to talk about with markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. And uh, we'll also have uh, some more um, tips for having a good, efficient planting season when that time rolls around very, very soon. That's coming up a little bit later on in the program. But we're going to start it off with... I can only say this for a little while longer. The chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, because he is moving on to uh, another position with the Senate Ag Committee. He's going to be working there. John, welcome. Good to have you with us, and congratulations. Thanks a lot, Mike. I, I still got a few weeks. I'm a short timer at Farm Bureau, but looking forward to continuing to serve agriculture for uh, Senator John Bozeman on the Senate Ag Committee. Well, the Farm Bureau's loss will be the Senate Ag Committee's gain. I know you'll do great work there, um, and we wish you the very, very best. In the meantime, we have a lot of things we want to pick your brain on. Uh, let's start with the announcement by USDA yesterday to spend uh, at least $6 billion on new uh, CFAP spending to try to reach uh, even more producers than we've seen in the previous packages. This is part of a $12.1 billion funding package USDA announced. Dairy will get some assistance here. So, well, it looks like finally the biofuels industry. Well, and if you look back at, at just the the drop in ethanol production uh, going back since the pandemic, I mean, with, with stay-at-home orders, uh, ethanol production has fallen by more than 2 billion gallons uh, since the pandemic started. And there have been a number of efforts to get some support uh, to our biofuel producers, we've been working to get support to our textile producers, our cotton producers. Uh, you mentioned the dairy producers. There was a supplemental dairy margin coverage program uh, in the relief package that was announced. And then uh, the long-awaited uh, flat rate $20 per acre payment for flat rate crops was announced, as well as the top-up payment for cattle producers. So uh, in total, about $12.1 billion in additional support. Uh, we'll, we'll begin to flow out the doors of, of the department soon. Yep, we've been waiting to see uh, how USDA would use that money, and now we're we're getting the details. All right, we're talking with John Newton, who is the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, a lot of talk about climate policies and what they could mean for agriculture as far as new revenue streams, things like that. Uh, there's a lot of talk about going green or even going greener, You've had some uh, comments about uh, what where agriculture fits into this and how green is agriculture and how much greener could it get. What are your thoughts? Well, we, you know, we've, we've been doing our part for a long time. When you look at U.S. Uh, emissions, the, the agricultural component represents uh, approximately 10% of total emissions. 
Uh, when you look at our livestock sector, whether it's enteric fermentation or manure management, we're less than 4% of total U.S. emissions. But we are doing things uh, to reduce our footprint. When we think about our productivity gains uh, in agriculture, when we think about that we're feeding 80 million more people today uh, than we did 30 years ago on a per-unit basis, uh, agricultural emissions are down you know, more than 20%. And then agricultural emissions on a per capita basis are down 15%. And then think about the things we're doing with nutrient management for livestock or or, uh, digester technology that we're implementing across the country to destroy methane. Uh, We're doing our part, and we certainly can do more uh, if we get the right voluntary and incentive-based mechanisms, uh, financial and technical support for producers across the country. Now, you've had, uh, you've expressed a difference of opinion with uh, Secretary Vilsack when it comes to the Conservation Reserve Program. Uh, Secretary Vilsack, a big supporter of those uh, types of programs so they can be improved to get more acres in without disrupting the marketplace. Uh, But your thoughts are what uh, when it comes to CRP? Is it worth expanding or not? You know, the the CRP program provides, you know, a short-term boost to domestic you know, commodity prices. You take acres out in the United States, we're going to see, you know, an, an uptick in prices. But in the long run, when you see those higher prices, it provides economic and financial incentives uh, to add acres elsewhere. And I think there's no better example uh, of that type of financial incentive than what we see in South America. Uh, over the last 20 years, Mike, they they had over 100 million acres of rainforest uh, that's been deforested. And then at the same time, we've seen harvested acres in, in South America increase by, you know, 60 percent. So, uh, it, it, you know, you put something in retirement here, it's, it's going to pop up elsewhere around the world. And that's something that, you know, ag economists have, have known for, for quite some time, that these land retirement, uh, these easement programs, uh, while they, they do have conservation benefits, uh, you know, you're just going to incentivize that production elsewhere. So in the aggregate um, you know, you're not achieving uh, your goals. And, and so uh, given our productivity, our efficiency, our technology that we have here, it's more efficient and better for the environment to produce a lot of that here than incentivize deforestation and production elsewhere around the world where they don't have the same ability to protect the water, soil, and air that we do here in the United States. John, all the talk about carbon markets, carbon banks, how do you see this working and will it be good for agriculture? Well, that's, that's the million-dollar question. And, and, and what we need to figure out, we need to make sure that this works for the farmer, right? So, um, and, and yesterday on the AgriPulse Summit, uh, you know, I brought up the point, look, here in America, we spend a pretty small percentage of our disposable income on food. And one of the reasons uh, that that's the case is because the farm share of the food dollar is about 8%. So if we build these carbon markets and we find value in carbon as a commodity or we find value in uh, water quality or air quality credits, we need to make sure that the farmer benefits. We can't have a system that we stand up where the farmer's getting 8% of the carbon credit market or 8% of the the soil quality or air quality or water quality market. So we got to figure out how to make it work for the farmer. Uh, They're at the beginning of the supply chain. That's critically important. Uh, and I think if we figure that out, we work with government and private markets, we can stand something up. It can be a revenue stream uh, for producers, but we got to make sure that farmers uh, truly are the beneficiaries of, of, of what they reap in the soil and the water and the air. 
John Newton, chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, soon to be headed to work with the Senate Ag Committee. John, again, best of luck to you, and uh, hopefully we can uh, stay in touch. We, we want to hear from you even when you change jobs, okay? You got it. Let's run it back one more time over the next couple of weeks if we can. We'll, we'll, we'll touch bases again before you move over to the Senate Ag Committee for sure. Got to get some more dairy questions for you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Always. All right. Take care. John Newton with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, we'll take a look, a closer look at the drought monitor map and some of the trends that are developing. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Steve, USDA is seeking input from agriculture on climate policy. What are you telling them? We're saying that, uh, you know, we support voluntary incentive-based programs. There is no one-size-fits-all solution to farm on-farm sustainability. We need to make sure that farmers are the key driver uh, in any kind of climate and sustainability discussions and that we need to make sure that we're taking care of those producers and that they're being rewarded and not left out of those producers who have been implementing these practices for a long, long time. It can't be just for the new adopters, otherwise you're going to end up with some real, you know, disincentives, uh, some perverse incentives, frankly, to maybe for folks to break out their tillage equipment. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. 
Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, always good to talk with you. Uh, a lot of the Midwest has been getting much-needed precipitation the last week or so, but there are still some dry areas, aren't there? There, you know, really it is has been several weeks of winners and losers right now. Uh, you know, we've had the big, the big snow and rain event a couple weeks ago, and then we had another event come through this last week. So the southern half-ish of the Corn Belt or so out in the Central Plains have had some rains or some rains recently, so we're in, in, in generally better shape from a soil moisture standpoint and actually a little bit wet in some areas. And then if you look at the northern part of the Corn Belt and out in the northern plains, a whole different story where we've had uh, less rainfall and actually much less rainfall in a couple of those places has put us in, a, in, in kind of a tough spot. You know, the, the North, North Dakota area centered on North Dakota really didn't get a lot of snow, didn't have much last fall, has not had so much much this spring. They're in tough shape. And then there's a part of the, the, you know, the eastern, northeastern Corn Belt, part of Wisconsin, especially Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, that really has dried out recently, getting some local reports of soils drying there. So it's really kind of a, a tale of two, two cities right now, so to speak. And even the areas that have been getting precipitation, and a lot of it was very much needed, um, that doesn't just make dry conditions go away for good, right? I mean, I mean, you still have to look at the bigger picture, the trend, and, and what is that telling you as we head towards spring planning time and look ahead to this summer? Sure. I mean, you, you, you really are, and, and you, you have to look at what the background conditions were, uh, because a lot of these areas, especially in the Central Plains, were awfully, awfully dry after last fall. So th th despite getting a lot of precipitation, they're a little bit wet right now. But, you know, that's not going to fix things. We've just added something to the profile, and that's a good thing. Um, I mean, overall, our situation is really not too bad looking into the start of planting season. Why I'm saying that, you know, are, are, are typically problem areas further north that are cooler those being, you know, we have, we're waiting for soils to warm up there, but them being drier, they're going to be able to warm up a little more quickly. The southern areas that are a little bit wetter, you know, they're going to warm, the, the overall temperatures will be warmer more quickly there. And our outlooks, as we're looking ahead here, uh, would indicate we're going to dry out. So there, those soils, even some that are, are kind of wet, probably going to dry out some by the time we get around to, to planting time. So as you know, start looking towards uh, you know, those crop insurance dates where we can start getting some, some, some in things in the ground, I, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape for getting a, a quick start to the, the, the planting season in a lot of places because soils, well, we're not going to have too many wide areas of, of wetter soils that have slowed us down like some previous years. Yeah, we keep a close watch on that drought monitor map, and as you said, it's looking better now but there's still uh, still a lot of concern for 2021. I and 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 we agree with that. And and I I try to talk I try to figure out what is the best language to use. We have we've improved our starting point. 
that's a good thing. That's a really good thing because we had some awfully, awfully dry soils. And let me step back a little bit. The U.S. Drought Monitor, uh, the map released on Thursday morning, just looked this morning, uh, really kind of follows along with what I talked about in the way of precipitation. That Central Plains area, Nebraska, Colorado, Kansas, uh, has seen some improvement because of the rainfalls. And then an area kind of from you know, Missouri, central Missouri, uh, central Illinois, Indiana has seen some improvement also with the rainfalls. While just north of that, you know, that kind of, I mentioned the, the southern Michigan, Indiana, Ohio area, there was actually worsening, and then some worsening centered on North Dakota where we're starting to get to, to really, really concerning points. As we look ahead, I mentioned, you know, we're looking not too bad for the start of the growing season here. We definitely see some things to be concerned about longer term, uh, maybe even late spring. But certainly as we go into the summer, again, we're not calling for major issues, but our level of, of risk has increased given some recent things that have come out in the way of the long-range outlooks from the Climate Prediction Center. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Does this fit in with the La Nina pattern? Uh, you know, it, it, we're trying to figure out what's, what's really behind all this. You know, we are still in a La Nina. We've been in one all winter, and that has carried over, is carrying over into the spring. The La Nina is weakening. Um, you know, the sea surface temperatures are starting to warm some in the Pacific. So the official outlooks say we go out of La Nina through the summertime. There may be a resurgence later in the fall. The, the problem is one of, one of those models really keeps the sea surface temperatures close to La Nina territory. Maybe they're not quite in La Nina territory, but they're very close. So that still does exert some influence, a weaker influence on, on what we see. And, and there are some of the long-range computer models, particularly in some of the other tools the national uh, folks use, that have a summer that the, the, the computer models are kind of hinting at a La Nina-looking pattern across the U.S. this summer, which we have an increased risk of hotter and drier conditions, especially in the plains, but then some in the northern, uh, northern north-central U.S. as the summer goes along in those outlooks. So we're not sure if it's La Nina driving it or if it's something else, but there are something that is driving these outlooks that indicate our, our increased risk of hotter and drier conditions. Again, we, we can't say specifically that it's going to be, but the, the, the risk is increasing. And right now that risk is, is, you know, the further west you go in the Corn Belt and definitely the Northern Plains area are the, the bigger risk areas. Eastern Corn Belt, less of an overall risk, uh, but we will have to keep an eye on that area as we go along also. Yeah, let's talk about temperatures. You know, we all know we get in those dry summers and we say, well, at least it hasn't been brutally hot, so that buys us a little time. But if you get the very hot and the dry, you get that double whammy, that's when you're really in trouble. Is that what you're thinking could happen, or is that is that uh, what you're kind of telling us to be aware of that's a possibility out there with this trend? Um, and, and definitely that is, that is part of it. And that's part of our problem too, is that even if we do get, you know, if we, even if we do have some soil moisture and do get some rainfalls, um, when you have warmer conditions, that dries the soil surface out quicker. 
and when crops are growing, they extract water more quickly from the soil because those warmer temperatures make the crop use water more quickly. So that even if you if you if your precipitation is not bad, it's not awful, but it's not bad, and you have warmer temperatures, uh, that can you know create some stressful situations, especially as you get into that midsummer time period, and especially in those areas where we have soils that we haven't refilled that profile. Uh, you know, you've got more risk because you've got more period of time where, you know, during those drier periods and warmer periods, you don't have that soil moisture to get through it. So warmer temperatures definitely are a problem along with some drier conditions, and that's what, what really has us concerned. Row crop areas, lots of things that can happen, but we're getting late for these rangeland areas, particularly where we've not had a lot of precipitation. Uh, they really need something very soon to improve that situation, say, up in, you know, North Dakota, centered on North Dakota and around those areas. Those areas, are those, as you pointed out, are very dry. Is that historically dry or just uh, drier than usual for this time of year? How would you categorize it? Actually, north parts of North Dakota have had some, some historical dryness at you know, multiple months throughout the winter uh, where they didn't get much last fall. Northern areas of the central U.S. missed out on a lot of snowfalls. They didn't get a lot of snowfall. Even that big snowfall event only made it partway into South Dakota, missed, missed North Dakota completely. So, yeah, some historic uh, dryness, and and that, you know, compounded with some dryness that they had last year, they were going to have some rangeland problems already. Now, if you're putting another, you know, you know very bad potential year on top of that, uh, that's really putting the the ranchers up there in, in a difficult situation. Yep, some uh, real concerns for sure weather-wise as we head uh, into uh, the uh, spring and summer uh, for 2021. Dennis, we'll stay in touch. Keep uh, keep uh, an eye on it for us, and uh, we'll we'll check back in with you. Thanks a lot. Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, good luck to everybody. It's the planting season starts here. All right. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. So obviously that's a story to watch. The markets will be reacting to that as well as the year goes on. Markets will probably be reacting next week to the USDA Planning Intentions Report. We're going to talk about that and more with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. That's next here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. 
DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are weaker across the board with losses led by soybeans and Chicago wheat. Export sales will be the focus later Thursday morning as we get details about China's corn purchases from the previous week. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading six and a half cent lower at 546 and three quarters. The July contract down a nickel at 532 and a fraction. For soybeans, the May contract down 14 and a fraction at 14. 18 and a fraction. The July contract down 14 and a fraction at 1406 and three quarters. For wheats, the Chicago wheat may contract down 12 at 612 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat may down eight cents at 568 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat may down seven and three quarters at 619 and a fraction. The July contract down seven and three quarters at 628 and a half cent. The livestock complex was positive on Wednesday and should be able to maintain that momentum today. Cattle will need more aggressive buying action for traders to regain the losses of last week. In cash cattle country, Southern Live deals were mostly at $115. Northern Dress Trade was mostly at $184 to $185 per hundredweight. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $116 to $117 in the south and $186 plus in the north. Looking at hog futures, they may coast most of Thursday in anticipation of the hogs and pigs report. On the Board of Trade, April live cattle trading 50 cents higher at 119.62. The June contract up 62 at 120.92. For feeder cattle, the April contract up 92 cents at 143.37. The May contract up $1.35 at 148.67. For lean hogs, the April contract up 77 at 98.55. The May contract up 95 at 97.75. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, let's talk it over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, let's start big picture. What are you seeing with the the economy as we're starting to come back from uh, COVID? Uh, what do you see as uh, positive signs and, and also some areas still of concern? Well, I think it's very encouraging that our numbers are down dramatically from where they were in January on the COVID. That's allowing the economy to open up. It varies by state to state. Some states are going down more than others. Um, but generally, we're seeing those signs of those early signs of herd immunity when combined natural immunity together with vaccinations. And I think one of the big things is that 70% of those over 65 have now been vaccinated, and um, that that's really the highest risk category. And as such, we should continue to see the hospitalizations and the death rate go down, allowing our economy to open up. That's good for the economy. That's good for commodity demand. That's, that's generally good for Wall Street as well. Some of the economic data coming out has been very positive about the economy lately. The jobs numbers this morning on a weekly basis uh, those filing for unemployment was also very positive. So I, I really feel good about the direction we're going and the implications that has for the broader markets. Are we seeing gasoline usage go up? We are. We're still running maybe 8 to 10% below a uh, year. Well, can't go by year ago numbers anymore, so we should go by the previous year, two years ago, because a year ago, we're already starting to slow down because of the pandemic. Um, so we're struggling. There's still a lot of people working from home, a lot of people uh, hesitant to, to travel too much. We are seeing airfare pickup. Uh, and really over the last week to 10 days, we've seen a significant uptick in airfare, people going through TSA checkpoints to where we're now getting into the 50 to 60% of pre-COVID levels. So that's very encouraging. It's going to take a long time for airfare to get back to, to 100% of pre, um, pre-COVID levels. But it's, it does say something about how people are feeling more comfortable traveling now. And uh, certainly, uh, I think we have changed the structure of our economy. So it may take a little while to get back to where we were as far as travel. But otherwise, we're seeing a consumer that's flush with cash. Granted, there are those who are struggling, but overall flush with cash, and uh, things are looking real good from that standpoint. Talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. All right, what are you expecting next week in the Planning Intentions Report? Is that going to be a big market mover? Well, I think it is. Um, It's a day when we normally see a lot of volatility in the markets because of surprises, and typically those surprises come in in the way of uh, uh, come in the way of surprises in the corn stocks numbers. And over the last two years, those have been friendly surprises. With um, USDA suddenly reporting that there's less stocks than what was expected. The focus this time, I think, is going to be primarily on the soybean acreage number. As I run the numbers, and we're making some assumptions here, that uh, African swine fever is not going to be as bad as it was in 2018-2019, that we're going to sustain some sense of demand into China. And if that's the case, we need to have at least 90 million, and I would say 90.5 to 91 million acres of soybeans. 
And some of the private estimates out to this point are suggesting that while we may need it, farmers aren't intending to plant that many. They're in the 88 to 89 million acre range. And if that's the case, we're going to have to ration demand in the year ahead unless we can produce a bumper crop. And the way the weather pattern for the summer is setting up, that may be difficult. So that's going to be one of the focuses, I think. You know, it seems funny to talk about the fact that we're not getting enough soybean acres and hmm. and we're talking about it on a day when soybean prices are sharper and lower. I, I don't think we're really trading fundamentals today, um, but that's going to be one of the key numbers that I think will kind of uh, refocus the trade uh, as they plug that into the balance sheet if we're in a sub-90 million acre. Um, and then you add the stocks report to it. The chances of volatility next week are very high. So we watch that acres figure. If it's below 90 on soybeans, that would be bullish for soybean prices. If it's And then if it's up around 94 for corn, is that bearish then for the corn market? Um, I don't know that it's bearish, uh, but it certainly is not as friendly. That's for certain. A lot of it comes down to what China does with its corn purchases in the coming year. I personally have them down for 25 million metric tons this year and backing off to 20 million metric tons next year. And if that's the case, 94 million acres would build us back to above 2 billion in stocks once again. That's assuming that we'd have a normal safrina corn crop this year in South America. I think that may be a stretch to make that assumption with the weather pattern drying out right now, although we don't know yet if we're going to dry, stay dry beyond the two-week window or not. If we do, then we're looking at maybe a significantly short crop that's going to pull more exports from U.S. supplies in, ne- in the next marketing year and maybe we could hold it. But 94 million acres of corn certainly doesn't give the funds a whole lot to go on to justify sustaining a rally unless we have a threat to the crop in South America or and or the United States this summer. Which we just heard from Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. He sounds very concerned about hot, dry weather this summer. Uh, that there could be the fireworks uh, to come, right, uh, for the markets if we get into that scenario. I would definitely agree with that. As I've been spending a lot of time talking to climatologists that I respect here in recent weeks about the cooling that I see in the sea surface temperatures um, off the southwest coast of the United States, stretching toward Hawaii and up, up the, the west coast and into the Gulf of Alaska. That is one of the that's one of the patterns that is essential in order to set up high pressure over the Midwest in the summertime. And as I was talking to some climatologists, uh, I guess uh, today's Thursday, so it's Tuesday afternoon. Um, they say if we still have that pattern a month from now, that is going to be present a very strong risk to our summer growing season. And I should mention that. Uh, Six weeks ago, two months ago, the models were not calling for that at all. And the models have been very wrong on the sea surface temperature patterns. And uh, so the the risks have dramatically gone up for the U.S. growing season this summer. 
So meanwhile, in, in South America, it looks like it, it's taking longer than uh, the normal, but they're going to wind up with a pretty good uh, soybean crop. But the jury will still be out on that uh, Safrina corn crop. It, it is. And as I talked to our team in Brazil this week, um, it was interesting. Throughout the soybean growing season, they kept telling me farmers are optimistic and everyone here in the United States was worried about the size of the soybean crop, and yet farmers down there say, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be good, and it turned out to be good. Um, but when it comes to the corn crop, the farmers are very concerned, and uh, they they fear that it's going to be a short crop. And we know from that area of the world that when they do come under stress, it can drop those corn yields dramatically in those years. So I think the next few weeks are really going to be critical. The crop went in so late that they need the rainy season to continue into mid to late May to really get a, a normal crop, if you will. And uh, right now the pattern is switching dry. Uh, it's going to be dry for at least the next two weeks. So that gets us then close to the middle of April. And typically in the middle of April, rain start just dropping off like like falling off a cliff. They really drop off sharply uh, beyond the middle of May as the dry season starts. So if they don't get any rains around the middle of April, it may be difficult. There have been years when that rainy season has extended well into the month of May. Um, but right now, this year does not look to be one of those years. A lot to look at. And finally, uh, where are we on exports? How, how's the business going? Well, ironically, our marketing year ends on August 31st for corn and soybeans, and we have essentially sold 99% of USDA's target for the year for both of those crops. So now it comes down to shipments. Uh, we've had an aggressive shipment pace on soybeans, and we only need to ship about 8 million bushels per week the rest of the marketing year to hit USDA's target. And uh, I question whether we're going to drop that low uh, I think USDA is going to be pressured to raise their target. On corn, um, we need to ship about 56 million bushels per week. I think we'll easily do that. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for USDA to raise their corn target. The biggest obstacle is going to be the shortage of ships because of the delay in the Brazilian soybean harvest tied up so many ships that it's just going to be tough to get those ships to make the round turns enough in China to get the corn shipped while they're also t taking on soybeans. That's going to be the biggest challenge toward them shipping everything they bought. All right, Arlen, thanks a lot. We'll talk after the next week's report when we have a better handle on the stocks and the planning intentions. We'll get your thoughts in. Thanks a lot. Look forward to it. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Up next, some more tips to help you get ready for spring planting season, and I'll have some thoughts on government spending bills. That's next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life, but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. 
We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, many farmers run machines of all different makes, models, and ages, but that means a lot of different maintenance needs go along with that. So if you've ever tried keeping track of multiple maintenance routines, you know firsthand that it can get complicated. We're talking today with Kevin Meyer, a premium lubricants expert from Cinex, the energy brand of CHS, to learn some tips for trying to simplify maintenance routines to help you and your operation both run as efficiently as possible. So, Kevin, it can be, we know, easy for maintenance routines to get complicated, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I think one reason for that is really just the complexity with modern farm equipment. You know, equipment today is becoming more complex. There's more moving parts, tighter tolerances, and multiple grease points and oil compartments that have to be looked at. And not only is it more complex, but new equipment is expensive. So farmers will typically have a mixed fleet or a blended fleet where they have a variety of different makes and models and different machines um, that can cause the maintenance routine to get fairly complicated. So, Kevin, what kinds of maintenance problems can farmers encounter when they're maintaining a, a blended fleet like this? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is really the complexity. Uh, multiple different makes and models all may be requiring different fluids for different compartments. You can also have different requirements uh, for drain intervals. So you may have an engine that has a 250-hour drain interval and an engine that has a 500-hour drain interval. So the risk for error can be quite high when you add all these factors into the equation. You know, using the wrong fluid can cause equipment failure. Uh, going off the wrong drain interval and kind of pushing that oil past its intended life, uh, that can also cause equipment failure. And that's really the last thing you want to have happen during this busy planting season that's coming up. It's not just really the cost associated with fixing that equipment, but it's also the cost associated with not having that equipment on the farm when you need it. So what do you suggest farmers can do to simplify that equipment maintenance this spring? Yeah, I think no matter the age of the equipment, it's very important to take care of it. You know, equipment is an investment and uh, repairs can still be costly no matter the age of it. I think one way to really simplify the maintenance program is to use premium quality lubricants, looking for lubricants that meet recognized standards or OEM specifications. Our premium diesel engine oils, for example, they meet many of the OEM specifications that are out there in addition to the current API service category, which is CK4. You know, this CK4 approval and the OEM approvals means that our oils have gone through a wide array of testing to ensure that it can meet the demands of both today's equipment and older equipment as well. Having the most recent service category means that our products are backwards compatible, so you can simplify maintenance by having less oil on the farm. 
Um, in addition to that, I think also using multi-grade fluids, using fluids where you don't have to worry about seasonal or temperature changes. You can have one fluid year round and your only real concern with changing that is the OEM recommended drain interval. Finally, I think using synthetic fluids. I'm a strong proponent of synthetic fluids. Going back to our diesel engine oils, our MaxTron EnviroEdge is a full synthetic product and our MaxTron DEO is a synthetic blend. Uh, these synthetic base oils are very uniform molecules. They're highly stable. So they have great oxidative stability, great thermal stability, and can really help keep new machines running like new, as well as extending out the life of the older equipment. Yeah, it's an important topic and something uh, for farmers to keep in mind. How can they get more information on this? Yeah, I'd recommend going to our website, Cenex.com. That's C-E-N-E-X.com. There you can find product data sheets for all of our products. They'll give OEM specifications that we meet, typical uh, product information as well. Um, in addition to that, our website also has a great lookup tool for Cenex lubricants dealers that are near you. You can type in your location and find all the Cenex lubricants dealers that are closest to you. Um, they are more than happy to help you find the right products and get that into your equipment so you can maintain your farm quickly and without concern. That's Kevin Meyer, a premium lubricants expert from Cenex, the energy brand of CHS. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. And I want to wrap things up today with some thoughts on uh, yet another spending bill that's being uh, proposed uh, in Washington. This one's an infrastructure bill. You know, if you don't think the name of something matters, then, then why do imitation products use the name of dairy and meat? Because the makers of those products want to take advantage of the value and familiarity those names carry. And why do those with environmental concerns stop using the term global warming and started saying climate change? Obviously, global warming had a rather hollow ring to it when it was extremely cold or snowy outside. So if you're going to sell a product or a belief, you need to have the right name. Now, the same holds true with government spending packages. Each stimulus package that has passed recently has contained a lot of money for things non-COVID related, but to sell it to the public, they've been called COVID aid packages. Now the same approach is being used on a $3 trillion stimulus package for infrastructure. It certainly does contain money for some much-needed infrastructure improvements such as roads, bridges, and broadband. However, it also contains things such as free community college tuition, universal pre-kindergarten, and paid family leave. Those items, while certainly important to some, stretch the definition of infrastructure improvements. The practice of loading up bills is nothing new, and both political parties do it. Usually, I try to look at the greater good. Even if a bill is loaded with extra spending, I try to focus on the areas that the bill's title says it's intended for, such as COVID relief or infrastructure. However, as the price tag for these bills goes up, as do our taxes to pay for them, it's getting harder and harder to ignore the misleading names politicians use to get them passed. The bill should match its name so we have a better idea of what we're getting for our tax dollars. I guess getting an infrastructure bill that focuses entirely on infrastructure improvements is too much to ask for. It's always popular for politicians to make calls and, and stands for transparency. But when it comes to spending bills, we all need to look beyond the names of these bills to see what is really in them and what it's going to cost. So we'll see what happens with this so-called infrastructure bill that they're pushing now. Again, it has some things in it for infrastructure that are much needed. I just wish it was more narrowly focused on those 
items. And if it is an infrastructure bill, if you're going to call it an infrastructure bill, make sure what's in it is just for infrastructure. A lot more in it than that. We'll take a look, keep a close watch on it for you, and be talking about it in the days to come. Coming up tomorrow, the biodiesel industry may have a door opening to them with this push for climate policy. We'll talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, and we're going to learn about another exciting new use for soy oil. That and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.